Well, we're glad you're here tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, Matthew 10, uh, verse 3, the third part of verse 3. And we're going to then get into the first part of verse 4, Matthew 10. Before we do anything else, though, I want to welcome John Carney as our newest member. He's standing up in the back there. Look at John. Let's welcome John tonight, okay? We've, we voted on him Wednesday night, and so he's the newest member of our church. John, welcome, brother. We're glad you're here. Rose, when you came forward today, did I say you were joining the church? I couldn't remember. <laughs> well, she was also coming to join the church. So, uh, yeah, so uh, there you go. I've been wanting to make that announcement for about five months now. So uh, it, took, it took a while, but uh, this morning was the day, and uh, it was a gr- <laughs> so it was good. Well, uh, let's look together at the uh, scripture. We uh, have been talking about the disciples. Now tonight, we're going to talk about three that you've probably never thought about in your whole life, because uh, they're kind of the hidden ones. Uh, Look at the text in uh, Matthew 10, the third part of verse C. James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon, the zealot. Uh, These are the least known of the twelve. The first one that is named is James. Now, he is distinguished from the other James, the son of Zebedee. And he's also distinguished from James, the brother of Jesus. So this is a James that uh, you don't really know anything about because there's not one word about him in the scripture. Well, in Mark 1540, he is referred to as James the Less. Now, we don't know what that means. We think that it might mean that he was small of stature It either means that or it means that he uh, was younger than uh, the rest of the men. Uh, We have to have some differentiation between him and the other James. So maybe they called him uh, the less because the other James was a lot bigger than he was. Uh, We just just don't know. Uh, After 2,000 years, uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, remains totally obscure. We don't know a single word that he spoke or a single thing that he did in his whole life. The early church fathers claimed that he preached in Persia, which is now uh, Iran, and that he was crucified there as a martyr for the gospel. So he was a strong believer, but he never really came to the forefront in any way. He always, I guess, had the gift of helps and was always supporting the other men. Now, the next one is Thaddeus. On the night before the arrest and trial of Jesus, um, Jesus said this, He who has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. At that time, Thaddeus spoke the only words that we know uh, of that he spoke in, in the whole Bible, right here. 
this is in John 14, 22. Uh, he, Thaddeus said to Jesus, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Well, Thaddeus obviously was thinking of the outward manifestation of uh, Jesus' proclamation as Savior and Lord, uh, a visible disclosure. He wondered how Jesus could manifest himself to the disciples and not to the rest of the world. Um, The Jews of the day, um, he, he was like the Jews of the day. He was looking for Jesus to establish an earthly kingdom and to be the leader of the kingdom and to throw off uh, the Romans. Uh, That's probably what he wanted, and so that's uh, what he is questioning here. Lord, if you're going to, you know, be the primary political and military leader, we've got to get the word out to everybody. Well, that was a mistaken way to approach this, because that is not what Jesus was doing, and that's not why he said what he did. Thaddeus may also have wondered why Jesus would disclose himself to these, uh, what seemed then like, insignificant men. Most of them were fishermen. And Thaddeus is thinking, you know, here is the Lord and Savior of the world, and he's just telling us that. And, you know, he, he ought to go and tell it to all the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. They certainly need to know. Or he needs to go and tell it to to all the Roman hierarchy, uh, to tell it to all the top guys in Rome. Well, Jesus did not rebuke Thaddeus for saying this because he knew that he was saying it with a question and he was trying to understand. He was sincere in his faith. Uh, So Jesus was not... Uh, coming down on him at all. Uh, Christ was not at that time establishing his earthly kingdom. He was disclosing uh, that was then making his divinity and authority known. Uh, But he was doing that only with the disciples. Uh, This disclosure was very important. The disclosure can only be understood and heard and understood by those that know him and that love him and that follow him. Those are the only ones that could really get what Jesus was saying. The genuineness of such trust and love is evidenced by obedience to his word. Now, I want you, I'm going to say a sentence and I want you to think about it for just a moment. It's really true and in this case it fits perfectly. Manifestation is limited to reception. Manifestation is limited to reception. That's exactly what was going on here. Jesus was speaking, and they were hearing. But nobody else could hear or understand. A radio or television broadcast can have a great range. In fact, uh, today, with satellites everywhere... You could uh, broadcast something here in Sun City Center, and it could literally go all over the world to every place. Uh, That's a possibility. Uh, But the programs are only disclosed or heard 
by those who have the proper receivers. Everybody wouldn't have the right receiver. The rest of the world has no awareness of the broadcast, although the electronic waves completely surround them. They wouldn't be able to hear if they didn't have the right equipment. Henry David Thoreau once observed that it takes two people to speak the truth, the one who says it and the one who hears it. Those who will not listen to the gospel cannot hear it. Have you ever witnessed to somebody and as you talk to them, you could tell that they weren't getting it? They weren't listening. They weren't paying attention. You could tell that they were thinking about what they were going to say next and not listening to what you were saying. I remember one night uh, many, many years ago, uh, I went out to a home. A family had visited our church, and I went out to visit them. And the man uh, worked in offshore oil fields, and he was a brute of a man, and uh, Looked like he was a rough customer. I guess his wife had uh, drug him uh, to church. And uh, so I went to the house and I went in and he didn't look very happy that I was there. And sat down and I started talking to them. And we made small talk for a while. And then I said, um, Mr. Miss Jones, I don't remember their name, Mr. Miss Jones, um, have either of you uh, ever trusted in Christ as your Lord and your Savior, uh, to be your personal Savior? I wanted to emphasize the personal part. And uh, the lady immediately said, I have. And the man looked at me like he didn't understand what I was saying. So I went over that again. And then I explained what I was trying to say. And then I quoted some verses. And then I went over it again, and he just looked at me. And then I went over it again, and he just looked at me. And then I started thinking of ways uh, other than the ones that I had used to, uh, to talk to him. And I started saying other things. And then I gave the testimony of when I was saved. And then I gave the testimony of when some other people were saved. And I just kept talking. And uh, finally he said, well, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and I said, well, I want you to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. I want you to open your heart to him. I want you to receive the message from the Bible, the gospel message in the Bible. I want you to understand it and believe it. And I want you to be a Christian. I want you to be a child of God. And he said, well, I don't know how to do that. And I had just been talking to him for a half an hour about it. And so I thought of some other things to say. And I talked to him for about a half an hour longer. And finally, I could tell that he thought it was getting late at night. And he said, uh, well, what do you want me to do? And I said, well, I want you to trust in Christ as your Lord and Savior. Invite him into your heart that he can be the Lord and master of your life. And he said, well, how do I do it? 
And I said, well, you just bow your head and repeat after me the following words. And if you mean them, if you believe them, then you will be a part of the family of God. You'll be saved forever. You'll go to heaven when you die. He said, okay, okay. And I, I, I think it was kind of getting late, and he wanted me to get out of there. <laughs> and so he bowed his head, and I went through the whole deal again. We prayed together, and he repeated all the words after me. And I got up, and I didn't have a good feeling about it. And I said, uh, you know, one of the things that you need to do is give evidence of your faith. You've trusted in Christ now. You need to give evidence of your faith. You need to get involved in a Bible study and read your Bible and pray every day with your wife. Your wife's a believer. You need to pray with her, study the Bible with her. I never saw the man again. Never did. And I thought, well, what else could I have said? How could I have said it differently? I said it 15 different ways. Well, you know, some people just can't hear. They can't hear it. They either don't want to hear it or the receptors are defective in some way. They just can't get it. And uh, that happens a lot. That happens a lot in our world. You know, when Billy Graham is on uh, television, millions and millions of people, you remember all those years, they would turn in and they would listen. And uh, I was with my parents one night when uh, he was preaching. He preached a great message, and I kind of got my parents to watch it. And uh, when he got through, uh, my mother said, you know, he's a name dropper. He had, he had mentioned uh, some names of some important people that he had been around. And so my mother said, he's, he's just a name dropper. And I said, well, Mother, what about the message, you know, the message that he was preaching? She said, oh, it's all right. <laughs> you know, some people just, just cannot hear. It takes somebody that is saying it in somebody that is receiving it. And that's what uh, Jesus was doing here. Um, well, during his three years of ministry, think how many people heard Jesus uh, speak. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people. How many of them became believers? Now, you remember when he went into uh, Jerusalem that a lot of people were waving the branches and all that. But, you know, just a little while later, most of those people were saying crucifying. So how many people believed? Was it 100? Was it 500? Was it all the people that he had healed? Was it all the people that he had counseled? Scholars think that really the number was pretty small. And, and if Jesus can preach to people and they don't believe, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a daunting task for the rest of us. We have to stay faithful, and we have to live it before our neighbors and our family and, and folks. And we have to do our best. That's what we're called upon to do, to do our best. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life. 
And that's what we're called upon to do. Well, uh, the, the scripture says that the God of the world, Satan himself, uh, clouded the minds and hearts of many people to where they could not hear the true gospel message. They could not receive it. Their receptors uh, weren't tuned in the right way. Only those whose hearts are purified by love and who walk in obedience to God's word can really understand what the truth of the gospel is about. This afternoon I was in the office there studying and I was thinking to myself, now how many people did I totally turn off today uh, by my sermon, by what I said primarily about abortion? You know, there I don't know if you know this, but there are very, very few churches in America that preach the kind of sermon that I preached this morning in this place. Very few. Very few. And I don't know of, uh, well, I don't want to say that. Uh, Not many around here, let me say it that way. Uh, You know, that is not PC. That is not what the news media wants to hear. That is not what the hierarchy in Washington wants to hear. That illustration that I gave this morning about Mother Teresa was powerful. I mean, that was powerful. I saw that on television. They played that over on a couple stations. And this little tiny woman, you know, got up, and here's... uh, the president, the vice president, their wives, all these people from uh, Congress who, who don't believe anything she's saying and who don't really want her there, she gets up and, brother, she laid it into them. And uh, I'm sure they all wiped their brow when she got through and said, I'm glad that's over. Kind of like that guy that I talked to forever that night. You know, you... you um, You have to be receptive to hear. You have to want to hear. This morning, I don't know if, you know, if you followed in this way, but uh, I tried to give verses for everything I said. Uh, I worked on that sermon a whole lot because it's a very unpopular sermon, very unpopular. And... You know, that's going to that's gonna become more and more prevalent in our world. It's going to get worse and worse and worse. Unless what we're praying for on Monday morning happens. Unless there is a revival that moves across this land. Unless hearts are changed and souls are saved. Our world is going to pot in a hurry, in a hurry. I mean, it is accelerating. It is, it is going at faster and faster speed. There's troubles on every continent. There's terrible things going on all around us. You know, we don't blush anymore when people uh, say terrible four-letter words. You know, we're kind of used to it. We've heard a lot. doesn't bother us. Uh, you know, you know, we we have become desensitized to the world, and we're hearing 
listening to it. It doesn't bother us. Tradition holds that Thaddeus was specially blessed with a gift of healing and that through him the Lord healed many hundreds of people in Syria. He is said to have healed the king of that country, of Syria. And then he led him to Christ. The supposed uh, conversion threw the land into such turmoil that there were riots all over the place. And the king's unbelieving nephew had Thaddeus bludgeoned to death with a club because he had led his uncle to the Lord. He died a martyr's death. Well, the last one is Simon the Zealot. Zealot may have signified his membership in a radical party of that day called the Zealots, whose members were determined, as you know, to throw off the yoke of Rome. They were murderers. The Zealots were murderers. And they uh, killed Romans whenever they thought they could get away with it. And one of those guys is one of the disciples. Don't you think that's interesting? I think that's very interesting. I mean, here is a murder. Talk about murder. Now, here is a murderer. A guy that whenever he has the opportunity, slits the throat of one of the Romans. The zealots developed during the Maccabean period. Those of you that have been to Israel, I'm sure, heard about the Maccabean period. Uh, when the Jews under Judas Maccabeus uh, revolted against the Greek conquerors. This, was, uh, this guy was kind of the early uh, movement that uh, came against the Romans. The zealots were one of four dominant groups in Israel. There were the scribes and the Pharisees, <coughs> the Sadducees, I'm sorry, the, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, and the Essenes, and the zealots. Uh, those were the four uh, groups that were there. Uh, they were motivated a lot more by uh, politics than by religion. They wouldn't admit to that, but that's the truth. Uh, they were primary guerrilla fighters who made surprise attacks on Roman posts. They would go up to a post and kill everybody there, and then they'd run back up into the mountains. They had some places in the mountains where nobody could find them. Uh, sometimes they resorted to terrorism. The Jewish historian Josephus, who really substantiates a lot of the gospel message uh, to the secular people of that day, uh, called them the dagger men, the zealots. He said they're the dagger men because of their frequent assass assassinations. The heroic defenders of the great Herodian fortress at Masada. How many of you have been to Masada? A whole bunch of you have. Of all the, all the trip, the two places that really stood out to me the most were the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, Masada. Uh, Masada was really something. Uh, if, you, if you're not familiar with that, talk to some of these people that have been there. And the story, it's a powerful story. What ended up a, a revolt against the Romans, they, they died on the top of this real high mountain by uh, drinking poison. They all died. Because they didn't want to be killed by the Romans. So they took their own lives. It was a, it's a powerful, powerful story. There was a leader named Eliezer that led that group. And they killed lots of Romans. 
But finally, in the end, uh, the Romans took over. Uh, They fell to Flavius Silva in AD 72 after a seven-month siege on the top of the mountain at Masada. And after that, very interesting thing, they disappeared from history. There were no more zealots. It was over. You never hear of the zealots after that. If Simon was that sort of zealot, and we think he was, he was a man of intense dedication and perhaps a violent passion, violent person. He always is listed next to Judas Iscariot in the scripture. His, his name's always right next to his. Suggests that maybe these two men were somewhat alike, whose primary concern was about the Messiah and his earthly reign or the Messiah and his earthly possessions rather than anything spiritual. But whatever motivations they may have originally had uh, soon vanished as Judas became more confirmed in his rejection of Christ. Uh, We see that this zealot, Simon, he became more confirmed in his devotion to Christ. Apparently, throughout their ministries, James, the son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the Zealot, remained unknown to the church. Nobody knew who these guys were. They were just always kind of in the background. They didn't say anything. They didn't do much. They were just in the background. Nobody knew who they were. But they joined the ranks of the unnamed Old Testament saints who experienced mockings, and scourging, and chains, and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death with the sword, they went around in sheepskin and goatskin, they were destitute, they were afflicted, they were ill-treated, they were wandering in the mountains, in the deserts, and many times they slept in holes in the ground. And these men were men of great faith as they trusted and believed in Jesus and they gave their life for him. Powerful, powerful witness to the Lord. Well, tonight we want to uh, open the doors of our church to any that are here. Tonight we want to ask you Uh, If you've never trusted and believed in our Savior, to take a stand for him. Uh, I can't uh, explain it uh, for 30 minutes right now, but uh, maybe you've heard enough. Maybe you know enough. And maybe this is the night. I made my profession of faith on a Sunday night. Maybe you will tonight. Maybe you'll come and take a stand for Jesus. Maybe there are some that want to come and join our church, be a part of our family. Our family's growing, and we want you to be a part of it. We want you to be one with us as we try and address a secularistic society with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We'd love to have you come and join, be a part of the ministry of this church. We're going to sing. I'm going to stand out the front. If the Lord leads you, just slip out and slip forward. Let's stand together as we sing. Softly and tender 
Well, amen, amen. Rose, where's Rose? Rose, come on up here. I want you to say our closing prayer tonight. Rose really loves the Lord. Let me tell you what Rose did. Rose came, drove all the way out to the farm for a year and fixed food for 35 people every Friday. And uh, I just can't tell her. I've tried, I've tried many times to tell her how much we appreciated that. And she's led a life like that. She's tried to serve the Lord and, and be in the center of God's will. And I am so glad you're back. I really am. I really am. Lead us in our prayer. Father, how blessed we are to be in your house this night and all day today, Lord. How blessed I am to be reconnected with my church family here. And Father, I just praise you and thank you uh, for the ongoing ministry here and how the impact that it's having on this community, Lord. And I pray for uh, the successful building of the new educational uh, building, Lord. And I pray for this ministry every day and for these people and for their love for one another for it truly does show the world who, who your disciples are when love is expressed one to the other among your people, among your believers, Lord. Thank you for how you love each one of us and for the wonderful gift of salvation that you have given to us through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And now, Father, dismiss us with your blessing and walk with us this week, Lord. May everything we say and do honor and glorify your name. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen.